Welcome. This is the Art Grind Podcast. This is a podcast run by artists for artists, where we talk about what it means to be one. My name's Sophia Kayafis. I'm Marshall Jones. And we're here with our producer, Tun Miai. We're three artists that live and work in New York City. And this is being recorded on the fly in between our many jobs and creative endeavors. We use this podcast to ground us in a space where there are so many ways to, to lose yourself. So join us. We have real conversations with artists we admire on the Art Grind. Hello, listeners. Welcome back. I'm sure you've been through the ringer with us by now, uh, but Marshall and I are really glad to be reunited and getting back into the swing of things. And we're carrying the torch into the interweb. So for the first time, we will be recording this interview with Zoom. Now, the audio quality, it, it just isn't the same. Um, but I hope you can enjoy the interview for what it is. Uh, and please be aware that we'll be moving forward like this until further notice. Today we spoke with Hilary Harkness. She's a talented and prolific painter, storyteller, writer with thought-provoking imagery. Hillary was really open with us. She gave us some insight about curiosity uh, in the studio. You know, like, what does it mean to be curious? Why is it helpful to be curious? And it really kind of coagulates her process in a lot of ways. So you'll kind of see what we're talking about. Hopefully it's inspiring you by the end. And uh, if you aren't familiar with her work, make sure you check it out at Hillary with one L, Harkness.com. Um, and you can see what we're talking about. Oliver work is up there. Uh, without further ado, we welcome Hillary Harkness. For the past three weeks, I've been working on one of my novels. Oh, yeah, you're telling great. me you're writing. What, what is it? What's going on there? How long have you been working on it? Um, I've written probably 300,000 words this year so far. Oh, my God. Wow. And a lot of it, you know, just rewriting things. So I think I'm on draft two or three, depending on what section I'm in, of three different things. But um, the reason I'm taking this time off right now to write is that I had a deadline for Freeze London. And so for weeks, all I did was paint, like 17 hours a day. Oh, my God. And um, I have yet to figure out how to balance the, the two. Like, it'd be wonderful if I could wake up and write for three hours and then paint because I don't have children. So why shouldn't I be able to live like that? But both are so all-consuming. Yes. So you just yeah, start, yeah. You start one and then you get sucked in mm -hmm. all day. All day. <laughs> Do you notice the you time passing? Oh, I forget. So I stand to paint. I, you know, I, I love that. It keeps me awake. I'm very mobile, but I, I have not figured out how to stand and write comfortably. So, um, I do forget to stand up and like the time goes and I'm, I write very quickly, even though my typing sucks, somehow I'll get through between like five and 10,000 words a day. Oh my God. But it's, I mean, it's, I'm not saying it's good. <laughs> still, still. <laughs> I'm still learning yeah, like, stood when he typed. Did Hemingway stand when he typed? Yeah, he did. He his output was 500 words a day, and uh, it was very good. So I think yes. uh, I think I think I just much I'm I'm much more of a beginner, and so um, you know, it just comes well, out. Quantity over quality is not so bad, though. Come oh, on. it's the opposite of painting. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> 
Why is it the opposite? Because I can spend over a year on a painting and it's so boring. (laughs) (laughs) A painting is boring. Uh, I mean, it can be. It depends what part I'm working on. Mm. So um, if I'm painting something hard, I can't um, listen like listen to a podcast or an audio book, excuse me, an audio book or something like that. Um, I really have to focus, but if I'm painting like walls and a building cutaway, that that's very easy. Life is good. You know, it's a little boring, but then I can like catch up on what's happening in the world. Okay. Hmm. Do you not know what's going to happen next every time you're going to write? Are you, are you not sure where it's going to take you or do you know Um, what you want to say? The, okay, so the the novel, the novels, um, it's kind of like a blousy intergenerational family um, drama, but it's it's also very erotic. It doesn't quite fit in the romance category, but um, it started because of the paintings, and so they, it it's like uh, it's based on the Arabella Freeman series, and. I had three of those paintings done before I even started um, writing the novels. Okay. So those paintings have a backstory and a timeline to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a curator um, asked me how many paintings would be in the series. And I, uh, I don't think I ever emailed her back. Unfortunately, I got really, like, nervous about it. And I started, like... Uh, I made a post-it for each painting I wanted to make, stuck it on a wall. And then I realized I needed to make something like 18 paintings to fit in, you know, what will be book two of three or something like that. Oh, wow. Uh, so uh, it's, it's been very exciting um, in terms of uh, like the, that the paintings are actually fueling the writing. Hmm more than the other way around um that's really cool the characters get more rushed out than in the in words yeah yeah so it's i'm really going back and forth now um one of the technical challenges of writing historic fiction about um a fictional family you know at a, a very unusual family um i had to uh it's really hard to drop in backstory. And so finally I just, you know, added an additional novel about the mother. So <laughs> the backstory will be in book one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am not sure my art dealer is very happy with me because um, I think it's complicated enough to sell paintings without having to tell like a giant story. So my hope is that I'll find a way to publish at least something by the time of my next show. So it can be there for sale for at cost hmm. or like, be like a $3 ebook or something. Like it's not, I don't really see it as a money-making project. Um, I just want people hmm. to read it. That's so cool. It's optional. Yeah. In, in that series, there's one that is uh, like a direct, um, what would you say? Riff or, pastiche of a Winslow Homer. Mm-hmm. What, and, and you even signed it Homer, correct? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, I, uh, it was on my bucket list to do copy work at the Met. 
So it was before I knew Mary Boone, my former art dealer was headed to prison. Yeah. And uh, I, I think I was having problems with something I was working on, or I just needed a little break. And I, I decided to join the Met Copyist program. And I thought I would um, maybe do some Franz Hall's copy work, like learn how to paint with more economy. Okay. Like a nice, like loosely painted lace collar or something like that. Um, but walking around the museum, I, I was riveted by the Winslow Homer, which is a depiction of is it, it's three Confederate soldiers that have been captured at the Battle of St. Peter or the Siege of St. Petersburg um, by a very awkward looking Brienne of Tarth, if you know Game of Thrones style general, the Union general. And I thought, oh, my God, it looks like a Styx album cover from the 70s. Like, these <laughs> Confederates have so much charisma. The guy in the center has long, flowing hair. Totally sexy. And, uh, <laughs> um, Great. and I, couldn't, I couldn't figure out, like, what was wrong with the Union General. And I didn't do thorough research. But, um, you know, I, I read descriptions of him and... He sounded like maybe um, either like, yeah, I don't think they had the word trans back then. He's in my novels. He's a, a trans man, of course, pre-op. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, he's not obsessed with his genitals in any way. Like he does, he, he's not letting his anatomy slow him down. But he had like a high, reedy voice. Um, he's short and uh, just didn't really have like a super male physique. You know, it, uh, I think he was probably just your average straight man, but um, just slightly different, maybe. But I uh, kind of feminized him in my copy ever so mm -hmm. slightly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, standing in the Met all day, in a, in the American wing, um, I uh, I really enjoyed talking with museum visitors um, and how knowledgeable Europeans were about the American Civil War. Hmm. Uh, but the other thing I noticed was there's just a lot of like teenagers on the loose in the Met, just kind of bored. They're there walking around. They you know they probably gotten for free, whatever. Um, and, you know, it's like something I do, like aimless, not directed looking. But um, there was like a group of black young men or teenage boys. When they walked into this room of Civil War art, they, they screamed with joy when they saw a depiction of a black soldier. And it made me realize just how white all the people were in all the paintings. Um, you know, in not in that room, but in general, in in the museum, and uh, I'm married to a black woman, and her family is very supportive of me. And you know, sooner or later, everyone in her family had stopped by to say hi to me when I was painting, and so I transformed one of the um, Union soldiers. Mm -hmm. I initially painted him to look like my sister-in-law. Um, and then I decided I didn't want him to be a woman. Like I turned him back into a man. 
And so um, it was kind of the birth of one of my main characters, Charles Freeman. Okay. And then I was like, how would this painting come into existence? And I thought, well, he would have a sister who was so proud of him who would commission it. Because the, the painting wasn't painted. The painting depicts a scene in 1864, but Winslow Homer painted it after the war in his studio. And Homer was very secretive about his process, but I think he hired models and took photos. Also, the background is very sketchy, so it looks, uh, you know, he, he was a great draftsman. He could just draw, you know, in that amazing simplified style that's so realistic nonetheless. Um, so the background looks like it's done from drawings. And then I looked at the painting in black and white. I could really see that the figures were probably from a photo from that era, just based on mm. how the um, contrast looked. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong. But I mean, who I don't really I don't care about that. But um, it, it gave me the story of like how, how, you know, there's, there's time for this painting to be commissioned by a fairly well-off black woman. And I made her wealthy, like landowning is, I figured that's how she had her wealth. Hmm. Okay. And then I uh, started writing the novels and it became an odyssey. I think there's a great American novel that needs to be written set in antebellum Virginia because the um, the race laws were evolving so dramatically, you know, just from the pre-revolutionary war through the Civil War. Um, it's an amazing story of how white supremacy permutated over time. Like it's just like the many-headed headed hydra. Like you know, some people there'd be progress would be made, and then it would be revoked, and things are going back and forth. But the one thing I learned was it's um, it's nearly impossible for there to be a wealthy free black woman in Virginia in 18, 1860. So the painting exists as a painting by Winslow Homer in your novel, then. Is that, is that what I'm understanding? Well, Homer was, um, okay, so the, the general in the painting, um, it's Francis Channing Barlow. He was buddies with Homer, and Homer stayed in his tent, and they had a bromance. Okay. Or a bromance plus. Okay. <laughs> Very little is known about Homer. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, he says the best part of his life was his personal life, and he's not telling anyone. So there's no record, but he's, he's probably gay. Um, so I think uh, I, I mean, I'd like to paint the, a scene where the painting's being commissioned in Homer's studio. That was an early idea. It was on my I used to hand draft. Um, so it was on my drafting table when I was looking for a gallery and PPOW picked me up because they saw this painting of Arabella Freeman and family coming into Winslow Homer's studio in this great entourage mm. with like the prisoners and the general. Mm. Um, I'm using Charlotte Rampling as a base for, you know, farther depictions of, of Barlow, the general. Um, but 
I'm sorry. I wish I could speak faster and be like super coherent about this for a podcast, but, um, Oh, you're fine. We're, we're learning so much right now about your mind and how you put this together. So whatever you want to say is the perfect thing. (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, Barlow is an asshole in real life. Um, I, uh, let's see. So one of the flies in the soup was that um, in 1864, there were Blacks in the the Union Army, but they were in segregated regiments. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's huge. And I have Charles Freeman distinctly wearing the hat that of, you know, the New York uh, 61st Volunteer Regiment. Um, it sounds like so you're... how did that happen? And that, you know, just like that question, um, and how did their family get their land and survive? Um, that I had to go back into the 1600s. I had to make a family tree. Um, wow. So much research. You love, you love stories you, and you love history. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in this world, you get to kind of play and twist and change history. And, and Marshall was saying that. Uh, Marshall, how did you say it? We were looking at all of your paintings. You were talking about them for past week. And Marshall said this fantastic thing. I forget how he said it, though. Oh, yeah. Because I was talking to a friend about your work, and she actually said this. And I, uh, her, her name's Kirsten Tingle. She's a great painter. Uh, said that paint is a tool to create what history has denied. But even when I look at, and I look at the other paintings that you've done and not just this series, it, it also rings true for me too. Even, even those slices of the, the, the ships, these impossible scenarios, but they, they should have, they should, they can, they could, (laughs) they would (laughs) if only. And then you do make them, you force it to happen. I love that. Well, if it <laughs> if I had been drafted in World War II and all the sailors were just like me, <laughs> you know what would have been? Ha- I mean, I mean, if they're all, I mean, I guess if it's just all me, it would be masturbation. But uh, <laughs> you know, nobody can see me. You guys can see me, but like, I'm a very like plain person. I. Um, I'd like to blend in. I'd be very happy in a world where I wore a uniform um, and everybody wore a uniform. I don't, I don't really feel, feel the need to express myself through clothing. And uh, I can also kind of imagine what it'd be like to be like a scared shitless sailor and having like the worst job on the ship. Like I never identify with the captains. I'm always like the person <laughs> caulking the seam in the basement or something like that. Mm. And I would get through life by flirting. I would be like, you know, one of the people having sex in the, in the John I'd be, I would have been a horrible sailor. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, so are they, those paintings, I've had a hard time getting it getting a read on them personally are are they fantasies for you would you say they're uh just extensions of your fantasy life on a ship essentially i uh let's see so they had kind of a slow evolution and um i mean i could talk about that a little bit it's hard to explain people want me to have a particular message i'm trying to convey 
And mm-hmm. I feel like you guys can already sense, like, it's just like, I have preoccupations and, you, you know, I'm kind of stuck with whatever, whatever's on my mind. Mm. But um, I didn't go to a traditional art school. I mean, I went to Yale, but they don't teach you how to paint at Yale, at least not back when I was there, at least not me. They weren't teaching me how to paint for the most part. I, had, I took William Bailey's class, but I missed most, most of it because I was sick that semester. But. I, wanted to, I actually wanted to ask you about him. He looms large in a lot of uh, painters around this area's mind. Was he uh, difficult to, to be around? But that, that's generally what I hear from people. I loved him. You did? Oh, my God. Right. Such an acolyte. Mm, He's my really? favorite. Really? Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he gets mad. His, or, uh, he's late. He's late. He's departed, deceased. Um, but when he got pissed, his face would turn bright red. He'd be suffused with anger. He was very exciting to have around. And you must have been there at the tail end of his, like, tenure there then, right? Was it sort of on the, uh-huh. the end of when he was teaching there? I was in his last class, yeah. Oh, is that right? Wow, great. Oh, my God. Yeah, his paintings are beautiful. And I know we've had quite a few people who, who went to Yale and studied with him with differing opinions. Everyone says he was, he was pretty hot-headed. But they, that, that school intends to break you down, right, more than anything else. Uh, I guess at the time, the rumor was the philosophy was they spent the first year breaking you down and the second year building you up. I went in with very little painting experience, so there was very little to break down. And then they forgot to build me up. (laughs) (laughs) Small small detail to forget. Well, where did you you grow up then? How did you, like, um, did you have siblings? Where was was that in the country? Yeah, where are you from? Oh, yeah, I was still working on my computer volume here. Um, I was born in Michigan. I was born in Detroit, um, early childhood in Monroe, Michigan, which is extremely polluted. It's the armpit of Michigan on Lake Erie. And uh, (laughs) then when I was like maybe four or five, we moved to Kalamazoo, which is halfway between Detroit and Chicago, probably a 200,000 person metropolitan area. Um, my family, my dad was a mill worker. My grandfather was a Detroit auto worker. My great grandfather was a Detroit auto worker. And then, um, my grandfather who was in world war II, who kind of inspired my series of cross sections. He was, uh, he had a geranium business and he was kind of more from a farming background. So very like blue collar in Michigan then. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what does your family think about your painting? <sighs> um, okay. So no. Okay. I'm I was, so curious. I was raised in the fundamentalist branch of the Lutheran Church. So Missouri Synod Lutheran. Okay. Um yeah, if you are a heathen and you don't look outside at the leaves and see Jesus. Intuit the existence of Jesus, you are going to hell. I mean, that's kind of the kind of thing. My parents weren't that bad. Um, so my dad is, 
I don't, I'll never know it. My mom is a woman of mystery. I'll never know what's on her mind. And I, I like it that way. I mean, her family, um, she's like half Belgian and half Transylvanian, like, which is in Romania. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, so, and t- you know, I was raised before the internet until age 18. I thought she had a recording career in high school when she was in high school and her name was Janice Joplin. You thought you thought your mom was Janice Joplin? Yeah. Really? She showed me the album, the album Pearl, and she pointed at, and she kind of looked like Janice Joplin. And she's like, that's me. I made this in high school. (laughs) You, she went with it for, with you. For that long, they, they enjoyed. Uh, they enjoyed fucking with my head. They're very fun parents. They had me. I was an accident. <laughs> I might have been a first date accident kind of thing. <laughs> but they, they're still together. Um, and that's so not, that's not very Christian. All that activity. <laughs> you know, my dad is a very forgiving man, and so I think he's the <laughs> ultimate Christian. So, like, <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't come out to them until I was thirty-five, and my dad said. Oh, Hillary, I've known for five years. I read it in the New York Times. <laughs> and Johnson wrote something. I don't know what. That's <laughs> uh, hilarious. Yeah. So they, uh, th- yeah. And th- there's a dark sense of humor in my family. It's just how people get through life. And also, I did not. I mean, I would say that. I did not necessarily have like a blue collar upbringing. I think it was lower middle class, um, you know, with middle class aspirations. Like I was meant to become a doctor. I studied biochemistry. I, um, I played violin. I took violin lessons, you know, courtesy of funding from grandparents, you know, um, Mm. Actually, my mom worked a minimum wage job for 30 hours a week, and it took her entire salary to cover my violin lessons and the cost of strings and stuff like that. So, like, my parents, um, they put all the energy they could into me. And and you're the only... Okay. You have a sister. Is she older or younger? She's three years younger. Like my mother, she started having kids. My My mom conceived me at age 19. My sister produced a baby at age 19 my sister has five kids um she's a leader in something called international bible study that has uh, cult-like characteristics <laughs> her husband is a top scientist geneticist and big data guy who's super famous um he had a spread in esquire he about his like you know, attempt to cure cancer. This is several years ago. And it was six pages of him on his motorcycle collection. And he's wearing his, his uniform, which is khaki shorts, white polo shirt, socks, and Birkenstocks. And he's on these super fancy <laughs> motorcycles. And so I think they're, I think they're like super, well, at least my sister's like very, very Christian. And um, I don't want to talk about their political affiliation because I, don't really know it for sure, but I have a feeling it's not the same as mine. Mm-hmm. We got a pretty good idea of what, where, where they lead. Uh, are they still in Michigan? No, they're in Rye, New York. They're in a suburb. Hillary, when I'm hearing you like talk about your family, it sounds like, I mean, even the fact that your dad found out that you were queer in the newspaper is kind of amazing to me. 
because my family is really Greek and we're all in each other's business all the time. There's no boundaries ever <laughs> about anything. I wonder like growing up, if you ever felt like you needed to share that with them or, or not, if that mattered at all to you. Oh God. Well, okay. <laughs> First of all, hi mom and dad. <laughs> I couldn't talk to you. Because then you would have had a really sharp eye on me. The, those boys that came <laughs> home with me, I wasn't doing anything with them. <laughs> so, yeah, no. Pri- privacy, you got to keep that as a kid. Mm. It's I not- wish I had that, that wisdom. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of privacy. You know, I didn't have a lock on my bedroom door. We didn't have curtains in our living room because we had nothing to hide. Uh-huh. And so, you know, it's just um, drawing, doing the cross sections where it's like very voyeuristic. Uh, it it makes I feel I feel like it comes from that a little bit. Mm. Yeah. All these different walls open. You can mm-hmm. see everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because my family also has a lot of secrets. Like I only just found out from my they finally spoke. I. All my life, I didn't know who they voted for. Who does Janis Joplin vote for? I mean, it's just like, it's hard to get anything out of them. <laughs> so I'm 49, and I, I'm like, Mom, what's going to happen during menopause? Talk to me how, how it went for you. And she just laughed her ass off and wouldn't say a thing, because she is going to enjoy whatever I have to go through. She's like eagerly awaiting, I don't know. She's going she's gonna to have a good laugh when I call her with my first hot flash. Seems like your parents have an amazing sense of humor. <laughs> they like to have a good time. They really do. And, uh, the sense of humor definitely comes through in your work. It's, uh, it, there's, yeah. In some of them, there's almost like you, I feel like you're winking at the viewer a little bit. Um, mm, like, why but, not? What, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so I get where the humor came from, but w- what's the interest in painting if you came by it late? And, and, um, and you said you didn't study it in college, just at Yale? Oh, uh, I became an art major my senior year because I thought I was going to med school and it seemed um, like I was going to get all the, you know, the science I needed in med school. And I wanted to just kind of relax. It's like a magical miracle that you ended up being a painter. Oh, no, no, not at all. Um, my dad worked at a paper mill, and so I had a closet full of paper, large, large format paper growing up. And mm. when I was a toddler in Monroe, Michigan, our upstairs neighbor in the apartment building was a local high school art teacher, and he would come down in watercolor with me. And, yeah. uh, and then my parents are, are both very craftsy. So my dad, I can remember being a toddler and he would do paint by numbers in front of me because he's like 25 and that oil paint smelled so good. (laughs) He put two (laughs) colors of paint on his brush and make a grape with a highlight. (laughs) You know, it's just like, he's so good at those bunches of grapes. Oh gosh. (laughs) Um, In high school, I would walk out of my physics class and my high school, I mean, it must have been about 30% black. Talk about white privilege. I could just walk through the hallways 
and go into another classroom and I'd go to the art room and I'd sit in the closet. They had a big walk-in supply closet and I'd like look at the books on Picasso and, and whatnot. And uh, it's just, um, the, the other thing to know about like why I've, I've done all this stuff is that uh, I used to really believe in a liberal arts education. And I figured like, I already knew I liked to paint. So why study it in college? Um, like I spent enormous amounts of my childhood drawing. We had a, a ping pong table in the basement and I had my huge 18 by 24 pieces of like really fine paper and markers. And I could spend all day drawing these like scenarios and I'd be kind of mad when other kids would want to come over and join me because I was so busy. Um, and, you know, I played a uh, violin in high school because it was really my only outlet. Like I, I finished like my math and English early and, uh, it was just kind of like the only game in town. Like my mom did not let me start college. I mean, she was probably worried I'd start having sex if I got to take, you know, calculus. <laughs> calculus always leads to sex. Natural. <laughs> <I know. laughs> God. So, um, yeah, so I just really wanted a, a liberal arts education and it just seemed like a waste of time to study art. And, you know, I should have known better because, um, so uh, at UC Berkeley, the idea was that um, you should only pick up technique as you need it. And so there was no drawing the model and doing a study. It was all about creating a composition and saying something that was interesting. And mm -hmm. so like, there's a lot of crumpling of paper and putting disgust, disgusting fluids on things and getting an A by being gross or weird or, or whatnot. Um, but from violin, I should have known that it, it counts how early you start. And, um, you know, the people who go to like Cooper Union or Micah or any of these really great art schools, they, they have a leg up on me. They'll have chops I'll never have just just because of got, got, having gotten it younger. And so many people like John Curran and Natalie Frank had drawing lessons at young ages. Um, I think I, I think it'd be like, you know, it's a really good thing when parents get their kids little Zoom drawing lessons or whatnot during the pandemic. Um, I feel like your work is so consistent no matter what style you're painting or what story you're telling it just feels like the language is so complete it's like this is how your mind thinks and explains things visually and like I completely believe it no matter what you paint so I don't know what you're talking about but I think it's pretty pretty complete like it's, it's a, an incredible vocabulary of of painting, of bodies, of it's funny you think it's funny you think that. Um, so when I got out of Yale, I still couldn't make paint stick to the canvas. Like I was doing stuff like mixing ninety percent wax into my paint on like a loose canvas or something. It's just stupid stuff, and um, I didn't have any sense of uh, painting from life or how to mix colors. So like I, I taught myself kind of, I moved to San Francisco and I kind of systematically taught myself to paint one tube at a time. 
And so I w- I've been perpetually adding colors to my palette over the years. Oh, that's cool. Um, Salvador Dali did not use umbers. And so they were kind of like the most recent thing I've added. Hmm. He had technical reasons for not liking them. They dry so fast they can cause cracking. They'll come through from under layers, according to him. Hmm. So you you learn to paint with colors one by one. So you would you really kind of like internalize how the inner workings of you know how they mix and move before you add a new color. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because each pigment has its limitations and advantages apart from its actual like apart from how it would look on the computer. Like it has a physicality. So like a tube of magenta and a tube of natural yellow ochre, they don't sit well together. Though on a computer screen, those colors look beautiful together. Or I don't know if they do, but you know, they could. So from all that one at a time research of color, what's your favorite color? Probably cerulean blue. Um, Maybe cobalt violet light, though I don't have much excuse to use it. I've been painting in Zorn's palette lately, um, or a modified Zorn. Um, I'm not currently using Vermilion because I like a slightly hotter red. So it's just Mm. ivory black, cad red light, and yellow ochre, and white. I was going to ask you, do you have a a complete underdrawing, and do you do an underpainting before you start adding color? You know, those early cross-sections had no preparatory drawings. The earliest ones were on true gesso, so I would take a, like, an aqua, aquarelle, like a wax-free colored pencil, and kind of sketch out the main lines. And then I didn't really know how to draw figures, and I didn't have a classical training, so it's like stick figures plus boobs. <laughs> you wanted to know my technique. And you I said, love it. <laughs> I just I like how you talk about it. It's it's like yeah, that's right. It's the next logical step, <laughs> of course. Oh, and people think I think everybody should be skinny. It's just like <laughs> it's not the case. No. Well, no. there is almost uh, embedded narrative in the way you handle the figures, like um, somewhat doll-like, thin. Looks like they're symboled by parts in those early paintings. That do, do you get a lot of reads like that that are just not your intention at all? Um, some academic talked about my work in relation to notions of beauty. Um, like, I really wish I was tall. If I go to the beach, I have on a one-piece plus board shorts over it. Probably plus a, another t-shirt on top of that, even in the water. Um, I don't feel comfortable you know as a human being um it's hard for me to talk to you here on zoom without a face mask like i really enjoyed the facial privacy of protective um masks during this crisis Mm. um i had to stop myself from wearing one tonight to talk to you (laughs) because i got so used like i would be a person who would be okay in modesty clothing um Mm. okay that's so, so interesting so uh, these women I'm painting and like the cross sections, especially they're they're like my opposite. And so it's just like it's like a safe way to live vicariously. I don't think anything that happens in, in a painting is going to hurt anyone. I mean, I hope not. Um, when I'm looking at your your images, I I feel like they're they're really fighting 
this kind of gender binary and ev- on every angle, is that something that you're consciously doing or is it just happen to be, you know, that these women can do anything. There's no, there's no bounds. Well, let's see. To me, the large breasts symbolize like virility. So they're kind of like big dicks. And in the paintings that are like cross-section and meant to be funnier like that, I'm not thinking about that in terms of Arabella or Gertrude Stein or, you know, <laughs> any of the dead lesbians I've painted. You know, that body of work in my late 20s, um, I was living in San Francisco and I had not found my tribe and I was lonely and I was confused and I um, painted a world with all women kind of um like a life i didn't have it's very it's very hard for me to talk about these after all this time oh i mean i just feel like this idea of gender is something that feels like you're pressing against you know society's boundaries of what gender means gender norms gender binary and i'm wondering if you could speak to that on any of your uh bodies of work I guess the reason I was saying, like, I'm a person who's not comfortable in my body, where I was going with that was, um, like, when I look at one of my own paintings from the time when everybody, like, you know, it's like a hundred blondes on a ship kind of thing. Um, When I look at that, I feel like I'm one of them. If I had depicted a version of myself into that mix, I would have to be that person. And so I feel like I'm letting everybody be a Barbie or whatever. You know, I'm very conscious of how the generic masculine, he, like men hear it as meaning men and women hear it as meaning he or she in some context. And I I just wanted to do like a generic feminine. And so I hope people of all genders can enjoy those paintings, whether they see themselves reflected or not. People of all ages, you know, it's all paintings of 18 year olds. Maybe that's why they're so fun to look at. They do feel inclusive and they don't feel terribly political in a way. They're just like, it's, they, they invite everyone in. And I, mm. I really appreciate that. It seems like your career so far, I could be wrong, has three main theories to it. Like you, um, the cross-section paintings, then you refer to it as the dead lesbian series and then the newer ones that with the novel accompanying. <laughs> Uh, before we leave the cross section, I wanted to ask you about the one, the Matterhorn painting. That one's so, uh, oh, yeah. so fun and so intense with like, and there are like, there's actual like real violence introduced into that. It, it almost feels like um, if Quentin Tarantino was to draw like a, a Sims version or something like that. I remember one of the girls is like leaning down and the other one's putting a gun to the head. Just out of my curiosity, where is that coming from? Well, I'm, I'm depicting Nazis in that painting and Swiss people <laughs> and prisoners. And uh, it's kind of a little darker. It's more about like collaboration. So the women getting their mouths sewn shut in the bathroom, it's about silence. Um, I painted looted art on the walls. Um, they're so intense. I was talking to, to Marshall about this painting too. And it was like, no matter how violent the women were, it was like, no matter how powerful they, they were, they were kind of neutralized by their, their sexual imagery. It was like an, a layer added to kind of unpacking it, the silliness of it all. 
don't know, do, does that resonate with you or is that? It's like a relief to me. Um, early in my career, it was very hard to talk about this work. Um, you know, some people had problems with like the cartoony violence. Hmm. I, I have to be aware that um, style has content and there's, there's some things I can't necessarily paint about in a cartoony style and get away with it. And I think that's kind of what happened with Dana Schutz and the Whitney. Like she misjudged this, the content inherent in her style of painting. And so she couldn't get away with painting Emmett Till in a respectful way. Mm. Um, that, that's my read on it. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's like, I think there's a planet where she could have made a good piece of art there if she was somebody else. Um, mm. You know, I don't think, I mean, I, that's a whole nother issue. I don't, I don't really, but it's, um, you know, since I paint black characters, now I have to think about this stuff. Mm-hmm. What's that like? It's a, uh, it's like wonderful and it's scary. Um, in my earlier cross sections, it's more likely that the characters are all white. And that was because I didn't, and, you know, there's not men in them either. It's like if there was men and women and you saw a, um, like a man hitting a woman, it would be about the war of the sexes. And I was worried if I painted different races, it would be, those paintings would be seen through the lens of race when it's just meant to be a more generic, you know, thing about humanity and power and stuff like that. Um, And then I realized I was painting white world and I needed to move past that. There's a lot of politics of depiction. Um, there's, I, I mean, I hope people give me the benefit of the doubt and have the same, you know, feelings about like the role of painting that I have, but I cannot control people's response to my work. So like early in my career, um, I don't know, one reviewer said I was like trying to like, I don't know, making false promises, promises about neutralizing gender bias, you know, like keeping men out. I'm trying to like get rid of like this whole like war of the sexist thing. And they're like, Harkness better get around to trying to solve the real problem of sexism. And I, I can't do that. And, and I had this strange interview, um, where I actually had to run to the bathroom and cry for a while because the interviewer told me I was a Nazi. Um, And that was because I said, I think I said something to the fact that, you know, I use myself as a human Petri dish and I put myself in other people's shoes, including the bad guys. And I wonder what I would have done in their situation. And so like in the Milgram studies, um, have you heard of those? It's like the, where they had, participants in the psychological study shock people um 
And people would obey the researchers and give really heavy duty shocks to these participants. And I honestly don't know what I would have done. I don't know if I had been a soldier, if I would have been brave. Um, If I had been on the Kursk submarine that sunk in the 90s, um, I don't know what I would have done in my last hours of life, you know, at the bottom of the sea. You know, the sailors were alive for several hours. Um, You know, it's like a chance to... These extreme moments are kind of like a chance for people to step outside themselves. Like maybe I would have ripped somebody's arm off and like bit their shoulder bone. Like I, you know, who knows? Like it's just like I, uh, I, I guess um, you know it's scary to be an artist because like you know whatever I put out there, you know I'm very you know upfront about being like, you know, just kind of removed, just ever so slightly removed from my life or what I'm thinking about at that time. And I'm thinking about some strange things. The interviewer's remark is, it's a little, um, I don't know, un- uninformed, I guess, because doesn't kind of conventional sort of philosophical logic say that you can't understand the the evil around you unless you can acknowledge it in yourself. That's sort of like just kind of how humans yeah. relate on a, on a level. You have to, um, I'm sorry to put you through that because I do not see that read on you at all. And in fact, I think that it's, it's empathetic depictions and the ability to put yourself in all kinds of shoes that make the strong, strong people, you know, obviously. That's, um, it, his, his reaction was inappropriate. <laughs> you know, I also have to like give a shout out to the black members of my family because they have incredible patience with this honky as a, they don't call me a honky. I'm embracing that as a learner. Like I, I enjoy learning and, um, seeing things from perspectives I haven't before. I don't know. I think, I think painting is all about empathy and it, I don't know. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. in in the pieces. That is so wonderful. No one has ever used that word in relation to my work before. So I, I'm so happy. Thank you. <laughs> well, I feel like it's so palpable in the newest, in the newest series for real. I really feel that. Yeah, should we move to that oh, that one or the? Because it feels like I guess if we move a little ahead to to as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong. But then after the cross sections, you did the Gertrude Stein series, right? Yeah, they were kind of happening at the same time. Um, okay, I I've oh never been um, a person who has been able to pull off a cohesive show where it all adds up into one greater thing. So like Karen Kalimnik, she could do that really well. Um, and so there'd always be either like a stray cross section or like, Oh, here's an extra, you know, beach scene or something with uh, like, I did something called flip wreck that had a lot of figures on a beach and that was in a show with cross sections. I'm pretty sure. Um mm. And I do have a cross-section going right now. It's, uh, 
I just posted a few details on uh, Instagram. I'm designing it on Procreate, and I've set it aside to work on the Arabella Freeman series. Okay. What what does that what inspired you to change your compositions? Because if they were sort of simultaneously, or it feels like they brought in this whole new language of closer crops, larger figures, you know, two to three figures, an image just not as packed. Um, what was what was the impulse? Oh, it's very technical. I always have some like technical project cooking. So, okay. So with the, um, if you look at my cross sections, you'll kind of notice that they are not like, they, they kind of have this loose openness where you could like enter the painting at any point. Mm. And it's because I don't have strong design skills. Like I, you know, these since 2016, I've been like actively trying to get better as an artist, as a, you know, technically, and, you know, reading Andrew Loomis books and stuff like that. Um, Andrew Loomis is the best. <laughs> I'm taking a continuing education course starting this Thursday at New York Academy of Art. Oh, wow. Oh, really? <laughs> great. I'm taking Aiden Barker Hill's portraiture class. Oh, my God. That's great. Well, they, they, they're continuing education program sponsors this show every now and again so. oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice hey everyone not, i don't know when you'll air this but aiden is great um, <laughs> i've been out plein air painting with him oh great yeah he's a whiz oh, that where you, i saw you plein air paint uh uh what are those called porta johns or porta potties whatever they are is that was that with him no no that was that was many years ago oh okay <laughs> that was great though yeah, I hope to know him for a long time so we can put some stuff together. Well, anyway, so you were saying technical, it was a technical exercise was the difference in the process. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, these Barbie figures, these stick figures, um, so like the little Alice paintings, those were tiny, but they had bigger figures. And so I was able to paint faces and um, bring like a different kind of content into the work. Hmm. And my goal my entire life has been to be able to make, I don't know, like something that's 20 by 30 inches with nine figures in it um, that are perhaps eight inches high. Eight to nine okay. inches high. And so now when I'm designing a painting, I'll, I'll measure like my, the, you know, in the drawing, I'll measure the figure and try to pick the scale. The scale is never big enough. The fig figures always could be bigger. Um, hmm. It's just, it's so much harder to paint large, I think. Do you um, usually work um, indirect? What does that mean? I forget. Like the layers dry in between, or do you like to do, um, do it, like hit it once and then it's done? Oh, like uh, one of my oil paintings at home, that's layers and layers and layers. Um, I don't really use thinner in my process and I'm painting with old Holland, which is very, very stiff. And so I can spread it very thin and keep it fairly opaque. But um, It's a challenge for me to get the look I want without going overboard with the number of layers. Okay. Hey, Sophia, can we take a quick break? I have met, my headphones just died. Yeah, sure. So sure. Let's take a break. Hey, Art Grind listeners. 
you are listening to season four of the Art Grind podcast. The show must go on. And so we're bringing it to you through Zoom during this difficult time. And I just wanted to remind you guys, we got to keep this boat afloat here. So I'm asking you, please donate to us. It's wonderful to be supported by artists who feel like they're really getting something out of this. And if you're one of those people, go to our website, artgrindpodcast.com. Scroll down to the yellow PayPal button, click it, and follow the prompts. Even a dollar can make a difference. And if you're feeling like you really are strapped for cash and you want to help, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Let's get back into our Hillary Harkness interview. Curiosity is flow. I feel like I'm having a hard time being coherent. And uh, that's fine. Yeah, I think you're really doing hard. it right. You're doing awesome. Uh, you know, I'm just old enough. There's just so I've made so much stuff at this point. It's hard to, and yet um, I've never had an academic write about my work and like explain it all. I don't have a catalog, and so um, there's I don't really have like this a giant statement of purpose I can just spit out. But I have nothing canned. Well, that's the best part about this podcast because we like to you know, get you to say things you didn't even know you were going to say. That's the best part. So I, I love that you're rambling. If you, I don't think you're rambling, but if you think you're rambling, I love it because you're saying things that really are surprising me. I don't know if it's surprising you, but I love it. I love everything you're saying. You're, and your paintings too. I didn't get to say that at the beginning. I love your work. So. <laughs> yeah, Marshall's been getting more and more obsessed every day leading up to the interview. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. I had a question uh, getting back in. You said that there were expectations for you to be a doctor or, or something a little more middle class. Are you happy that you became a painter? No. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I tell everybody don't. So, okay, so it's so confusing. I, I would love just to spend the rest of this podcast giving my advice to young artists. Yes, please. I'm Let me take some that. notes. Okay, so it is such a crock of shit because you see this stuff getting good reviews, but you, you know, you're a young artist and you think, oh, this is viable. But you don't know if the gallery is actually selling the work. You don't know if the artist is funded mm. by, you know, family wealth or something like that. And so um, it's just very deceptive. I imagine I, my sense is oftentimes there is some some story behind it that's not the quality of the art for a lot of for a lot of the. <laughs> The artists who really strike it gold, right? I, I think uh, I don't. I don't know what to say to that. Actually, mm. I mean, it does uh, matter. Well, it does matter. Like uh, the world favors people who have time to paint, and so it is kind of like a well-off person's kind of profession. Mm. Yeah, the yes, and occasionally someone connected and, you know, knows how to talk in the, to the right people sort of thing. It's, um, it's a very difficult business to 
to get into. Um, um, the, the, the thing is about that, like, I feel like I want to just push back on that slightly because um, galleries are very mercenary. And so if that person gets into a gallery and their work doesn't sell, like within a show or two, they're gone. Right. Yeah. So, so, I mean, rough. And, and most of us are introverts. And so the extrovert artist is king that, you know, the person who keeps in touch with a lot of people and, you know, stays in the mix. Like, it's just really hard to drag myself, you know, to everything I need to go to. Yeah. It's almost like a, it's whole other career, right? Just doing, mm-hmm. doing the things besides making the paintings is a, is a whole other aspect of it. And then having a gallery that cares and actually will do things for you. Cause there's a lot more to a career than just selling. My career has been strong on selling. I could use the museum show. That would be very nice. What, what, what were your thoughts when uh, Mary Boone closed down? Cause that was a good gallery to get, to get into. Mm, that was, that was like, I could barely get up. I got the, I got the news. Um, I had, I had gone on a plein air painting trip and I came back from being off the grid for two weeks about, and um, I turned on my phone in the airport in Wyoming and it was blown up with messages from her and, you know, it rang instantly and she told me that, you know, what, what was going on. And um, she wanted me to finish, you know, finish something before the gallery closed and I became, I tried, I pulled myself off a project like um, a Winslow Homer studio kind of thing. It's very bad for me to like switch projects. So like every time I do that to myself, it's bad. Um, So I tried to, you know, I picked something out that I had worked on years before. I have this painting that's like an albatross. I've probably spent a year and a half on it so far and it's just never gonna be done kind of painting. Um, I keep painting sections out and uh, it led to, I think a case of clinical depression. And uh, I felt like I was dying when she went to jail or prison, I mean. Wow. Wow. What did you do? I mean, how did you pull yourself out of it? How did you get, you know, it seems like you landed at PPO, uh, PPO gallery and are again, productive. What was your, what was, did you have strategies or? Um, well, that, uh, it was okay. So Mary Boone shutting very high publicity. That's a high publicity way to be looking for a gallery where people know that you need a gallery and that you have um, a very nice name on your resume and almost no artist looking for a gallery is as lucky as I was. And I'm pretty sure I got some studio visits just because people are curious, like, you know, who's this person that held on at Mary Boone for 15 years? What did Mary see in her? You know what Mary saw in me? Besides, it was easy to sell my paintings for her. I think I didn't fight with her. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I really believe in not hassling dealers and not giving them problems. Like, I'm pretty easy to work with, I think. That's good advice. Yeah, that is good advice. 
So you said you said a emphatic no that your life could have been easier possibly if you would have been the doctor or something. Um, what what is the hardest part about painting for you then? Deadlines. Mm. Um, the the entrepreneurial aspect of it, I hate it. It's very hard for me to think in terms of what will make this a successful painting that somebody wants when I have something in my heart I'm trying to get out. And I think, I mean, I don't know what else I would have done. I probably would have been a novelist or something like that. When I was in sixth grade, I thought I was going to be a novelist. I don't, I don't really, uh, I just think it's uh, the career end of being an artist is not fun for most right. people. Um, you know, there are people who, who lead charmed lives, lives, and my life has been pretty charmed to date, but I don't take it for granted at all. It seems like from your answer, it's kind of amazing to me because it's like you're your voice, it seems like your creative voice is so strong and so realized. And I imagine you, you know, even after our, us talking for a while, I, I imagine you in your studio and I'm, I'm so envious of this person that can be in there for hours and not notice the time passing and just can be at home in this, in this space for your imagination to, to just be yourself, a, a comfort with yourself. I don't know. I, can you speak to us a little bit about that? I, I don't know. Am I, am I on, onto that? Cause I, I yeah. love, I love imagining that I want that for myself. I feel so far away from that. Okay. Well, um, people have, you know, meanly said that they have thought I'm a little bit OCD. I'm not, I'm actually on the attention deficit spectrum. And it, it masks, <laughs> you know, it's just like, I, I have like so many things on my mind and there's just like any number of like my days, even if I'm just at my desk are chock full of like stuff bouncing around in there. Mm. Um, but even when I was, you know, playing violin, it, I went to this like a prodigy hothouse kind of summer program where we didn't play in an orchestra because it was all about like individual practice it was for people who were going to become soloists i was the worst worst kid there like there was no chance i would have been a soloist or even probably you know in the new york philharmonic in any capacity um but you know i could i could practice 10 hours a day if i had to i could do that mm. um it's just like you know a muscle that gets trained but um Tell me about what that feels like. That it, it, does it feel safe in there? Does it feel uh, what does that feel like in there in that studio for hours and hours? Okay, I work at home. Um, I live in a brownstone apartment, and so we have the parlor floor with an addition off the back, and I paint in the the high ceilinged parlor. I hired Will Cotton's architect to you know design the studio and make it just like a very clean plain space i keep it as empty as possible i hate clutter i'm happiest in a room that feels empty what else can i say about it um can you ask the question again i feel like there's something important here i want to say that i just can't <laughs> yeah um when you're in the studio do you f have a sense of peace coming from a certain part of you? And what does that feel like in your mind um, or your heart or whatever? I don't know. Oh, that feeling of flow you're talking about. Yeah, the flow state. 
Oh, but yeah, this, I'm so happy you let me ask this, have you restate this three times. Um, I have been in this state fairly constantly for um, a year now, a year and a half. Um, when Wendy Olsoff at PPOW Gallery did it, did a studio visit with me where, you know, we decided I would join or whatever. Um, she said something like just very enabling, like she looked at a sketch in the corner and she's like, I want that. I want more of that. And it was just so exciting, you know, to, to be given permission to do this Arabella Freeman series. I don't think she knew what she was in for, but <laughs> I don't think she expected figures and landscapes. Um, I thought, you know, I think she wanted a cross section of Winslow Homer's studio maybe, but um one of the things I've, I've not, my, my life isn't always like this. And so like I had severe depression the, in the months leading up to Mary Boone going to prison that were not productive. Um, when I was in my twenties, I had a very simple life and I believed that if I didn't have a life, I would live in my paintings and my paintings would come alive. And that, to a certain extent, was true because it got me there. And so I had um, artist block very badly after Yale, even my final year there. I think I had three years where it was just very painful to make stuff. And I basically, there was like a chain. I was chained up. I did not let myself off the hook. I was in front of my easel or where I was drawing. I did not let myself out of the room. I just like, I made myself be there. You know, I... I was a wimp in my twenties. I only worked eight hours a day at it. You know, that, that seems like peanuts to me now. Um, but I, uh, I did that for many, many years. And then I, um, I hit a state of burnout and a person has to have a life and do normal things or they're going to dry up sooner or later. Um, that's what I think. And if I'm making a painting for the wrong reasons, I will also fail at it. Or if I skip a step, like if I try, the worst thing I can do is say, I'm going to try to make this painting easy on myself by limiting the palette or, you know, cutting out this one step that I normally do that seems gratuitous. And then it's like, no, it, I actually have to prime my own surfaces because some, for some reason, that's part of it. Um, mm. And, and so uh, the way I pull myself out of these states of un unproductiveness is I, um, I have to, you know, be very kind of antisocial and uh, I have to listen very closely to what makes me curious and I have to get back into curious mind. Um, and, you know, uh, a gross day in the studio is like when a painting feels like it's not working and I have to fix it. And that fix it mind is the opposite of the mind anyone wants to be in when they're working. Fix it mm -hmm. mind is not flow. Curiosity is flow. I love it. Yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a great answer. Curiosity is flow. That's, that's a real, that's a sound bite. That's great. Do you find that you have to, to, to make space or remind yourself to be compassionate for yourself and your ideas when you're in the studio? Is that part of it? 
Oh yeah. I'm, I mean, I, I feel awful about my, myself and my work all the time. I'm so full of doubt, but it's just like, it adds frisson, I guess, to making it. I'm like, oh my God, people are going to hate this. You know, I'm writing some sex scene and I'm like banned in 20 countries, but you know, the shame, what are my parents going to think? Well, their lesbian friends will like it. (laughs) (laughs) You're just coming up with things so you can keep going. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was trying to decide whether to go to med school or not right after college, I spent a summer in a library going through every single art book they had, whether it was a monograph or something like theoretical. But um, I, I looked at every single book and wondered if there was like a space for me somewhere in this. And um, I realized that what I wanted you know, if I was going to do this art thing is I want, you know, if I live to 80, I want to look back and I want to see change. And I want, I, you know, I want to see growth. And, um, you know, another thing I do when I get blocked and I'll do something like be in the Met Copyist program or I'll, I'll bug my friend Mark Trujillo for tips on plein air painting. Um, I'll learn something new or I'll, I'll read a book by um, somebody that you like would be the last thing you'd think I was reading about how, uh, how to, whatever, how to. So, um, I've learned a lot from Richard Schmidt and he's in like a different art world than the one I, I live in. But, um, you know, it's just like the, the excitement of paint itself and, and painting, like I have to keep in touch with that. And, so I've taken classes at the Art Students League um, in recent years. It's, it's hard when I'm on deadline. Um, and so I flake out and drop out or, but, you know, it keeps me going. Who were who you with at the, at the league? I, t- I teach a class there. Who, what class were you in? I took a Frank Porcu's class. Oh, uh, anatomy? Yep. It's like very Bridgman, like the body as machine. Learned yeah. so much. Um, and then I tried and failed at um, Greg Kreitz. Oh, I used to, I was his <laughs> TA for a couple of years. Yeah, there's a video his daughter made of him um, biking around town. Uh, and then he sets up his outdoor painting thing and he, he does like a little cityscape. And he currently doesn't have that up online, but it's like one of the best little five minute painting videos I've ever seen. My most recent was Mark D'Alessio's. Um, I went to one of his. Uh, yeah. And the thing is, is he's a very good person and he puts his, his videos, you know, he puts free videos online. He also has a very inexpensive Patreon um, where he's very responsive to questions, but he has so much on YouTube. And the reason I went was because I, I just couldn't quite tell what, his paint looked like. And so I went all the way to Carmel to see like, you know, even though I, you know, made his special medium, um, I still just, I couldn't see that his paint was as sheer as it was. Like he paints Mm. much juicier than me. Um, Another one I've been to uh, Scott Christensen. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Yes. Is he, is he in New Jersey? No, he is in Idaho. Uh, oh, yes. And I do. Yes. Okay, Another so one of those like plain air kind of Richard Schmidt uh, uh, type type people, right? Yeah. Um, so he also he uh, was like a football player in college, got a neck injury, um, you know, just went and sat by a river to, you know, what am I going to do with my life? And he's thought like, I have to find a way to be outside and be by rivers and, you know, have this relationship. And um, his class, we didn't actually go outdoors and paint together. It was uh, all about value. He was like very, um, I learned so much from him. And uh, I just feel like I learned about art from him. Um, And he gave me a crit at the end. It was like, just like a five person workshop. And you know, he was able to talk to me about my work, even though I'm sure he hated it. William Bailey hated my work, but he was okay with hating it. And he would talk to me about it. And I think that's like a very special thing. And um, like, I love being visiting artists and I try to meet young artists wherever they're at. Um, You know, even if I don't necessarily, people want judgment and they want you to be hard on some people. So when you like them, um, they know you really like their work. Uh, people will never probably know whether what I really think because I'm not about making that judgment. I'm really about the curiosity about what they're trying to do and how I can help get them there. So uh, on there's a painting you're doing in the most recent series, and it's um, there's a bit of a tea party on a porch. Mm-hmm. And- and I think all your plain air stuff is paying off because you painted the trees in the background on that really beautifully. Like I kept looking at how nice the trees look. We need to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> what do you, you want me? I, I, I love them. <laughs> no, no, there's a, I, I, I don't have a statement out yet um, to the press. I mean, I okay. think something might run in Turkey where I talk about it a little bit, but I, ha- I don't know if my piece will be run or not. So what I'm doing is um, I am setting scenes from the, the American Civil War in Russian landscape paintings. Oh. That's a Shishkin back there. Mm. My version. Uh- I would love to see Shishkins in real life. And so my versions are just very, um, you know, American painting. I don't paint in the same colors. It's not the same style, but I'm taking little things and I'll move bushes around or move a tree maybe, or do a lot in Photoshop first to get it to where I need it to be. Mm. Mm. And then you'll just hold, like sort of have that reference around and then paint from the photos you've you've doctored to some degree of the of the paintings yeah and there's only very low res images for Mm -hmm. things and um the stuff usually looks photoshopped in advance and so the colors are really really off and so i have a lot of creative freedom Mm -hmm. you know painting off these little bad images well they're absolutely beautiful i was struck by just i mean i think um your narratives are always very strong and, and enticing and invite a lot of questions. And 
but then it seems like um even recently you're just getting better and better at at the painting stuff and i was like looking at those trees being like these are gorgeous trees so it's really really great um yeah i did something different with that one that has a um a uh golden high load painting beneath the oil and so i was able to do like 10 layers on the trees and have it dry before hitting it with oil and so i, I got it really far along um, uh, it's not the oil isn't a glaze like it's a real there's real layers of oil paint built up but it um i think it has a more jewel-like quality because of uh, the high load and it's also painted on um fiberglass so it's on like a super stable surface archival right. and stuff well do you have time for a couple of uh Bonus, Bonus questions. questions. Yeah. Okay. Is ultramarine blue a warm or a cool color? Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> I just want you to know, I because like I actually asked this on social media to try to get an answer. You did? Yes. I don't know what's warmer. I I think I mean I think I can tell you the answer now. But honestly, um, I did this limited palette once where it was a uh, I. I had um, like a flesh ochre, black, white, and then gold ochre. And then I had a terra verde, which is a very weak green. And I had opposite that, I had the cobalt violet light, which is like a very weak, warm purple. And between the green and the purple, I could not tell which was warmer. Mm. The answer is the purple's warmer. Because it, wait, no, it's whatever is closest to yellow orange. And so um, my plein air palette is like, I use cerulean as a warm blue. And then I use Old Holland Ultramarine Deep, which is a very warm version, like a, a more reddish, a more reddish ultramarine. And it's a forced choice between a green blue and a red blue. There's no like blue. That's it. Yeah, that's how I look at it too. The 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 yellow preference. If anything's running towards yellow, I give. I say that's uh, warmer. Um, this question is is earnest by me, so I'm not saying this with with irony or trying to make a joke. But what do you think about uh, Thomas Kincaid as a painter? Oh, I'm so happy you answer ask this question. Um, okay, so I mean, the, the short answer is he's okay. Be I grew up looking at um, you know my my grandfather, the auto worker, had middle class aspirations, and so he, the first thing he did was get like a piece of what might have been factory art. Mm -hmm. and hang it over his fireplace and i just wanted to disappear into that painting um so i have a high a high tolerance for certain kind of uh styles that are maybe less sophisticated in some ways but what really got me about kincaid was watching him on youtube um talk as he painted and why he was doing stuff and he's like I'm going to put a little piece of earth here to give the viewer a place to step in and let's make a nice path 
for them to walk on and we'll do a little bridge that's so nice to walk over. (laughs) This house looks a little lonely though. Let's put a little light in the distance so we know there's neighbors somewhere. (laughs) I think that is a wonderful um, set of reasons to, you know, behind building a composition. That's like, that's a reason to paint. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, I did come across a student, I can't remember her name, but she did glue popcorn at the bottom of her painting as like a welcome to viewers. So I, I, you know, it can be taken to extremes. (laughs) 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 uh, Yeah. What do you think of Kincaid? I love him. I, I find like, he's this, I agree with you. He he may not be the best painter ever. Like he's not as good as like a, a Richard Schmid, but he's very good. And I think that I, I, I think he, he, I'm a little bit of a nerd, like I've read books on him and stuff. And I think that he was a really fun guy, real sweet guy, got in a, a little over his head and had sort of a tragic end. And, um, and I, 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 I honestly like his paintings and I sort of like who he was. And it felt like the corporate machine just kind of ate him alive. All he wanted to do was like make his paintings and sell them on the pier in California, you know? And, um, and I think they were pretty good in, in his past life. Like he was best friends with James Gurney, you know, and they were like having fun, hopping railroad trains, painting all over the country as kids. It was just like, sort of the life that you know in some ways i've done that's great and i i i hate that he gets uh you know seen as a punchline a lot of times you know mm-hmm. but he got um, the ultimate he was allowed to paint was it at disneyland or disney world that that what disney world painting is fantastic and it's like that's like a million if, that painting's worth a few million dollars actually um uh, here's another question. Have you ever fallen in love with one of your paintings? You know, I think it's starting to happen. Um, like, I am terribly in love with Arabella and, you know, her her family. And, you know, even Barlow, it's like painting those people. It's like having a crush on them. You know, in my career, my paintings have always been taken from me, like, you know, the minute they're finished. And by the time I see them again, it's like somebody else painted them. So I see them. It's just like a stranger almost um, did did things. It's like old Hillary, other Hillary, but that, you know, 29 year old Hillary made this. And that that's very weird and exciting to, you know, to see one of my own paintings, maybe. But um, right now, um it's very hard to let go of things. That's so interesting. I love that. So it's like a new change that is kind of never happened before. Mm-hmm. Mm. The funny thing is, is like every time I paint these characters, they look different because I don't have a model, you know, like a specific model, you know, like Charlotte Rampling a little for Barlow, but like there's going to be a lot of different people mixed in. And mm-hmm. so um, like in one of my paintings, it might be my wife, wife's legs on, you know, a figure or something like she she is in the paintings on, in almost every character. Mm. 
you know, male or female, she can, you know, I can convert her body into anything I need um, because I'm not too realistic, I think. But um, there's still a little bit of wiggle room. So, um, like, Charles Freeman, her leg, well, it'll be her legs. Does your, does your wife have an opinion on your work or does she share that? Do you guys talk about your work together? I think a good day for her would be like when I walk out of the studio and I, I don't talk about it. Friends who will talk to you about painting. <laughs> He's not interested in um, telling me like, it's a bad thing if I say, hey, uh, is this area too dark? That's just gonna, going to annoy her. But she's looked at your work before and said, I really like that one, or I really don't like that one. Does that affect you at all? Oh, my God. I don't know if she has dared say she didn't like something. She's very diplomatic. I mean, she's not, she's not, not out to make enemies with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, when this uh, call ends, I'm going to go ask her some very hard questions. Fighting <laughs> <laughs> and crying. Uh, and it's, I think it's an interesting thing to date another creative person. You know, I think it's really helpful um, for people who are in two-person creative. From the outside, people get a lot of energy um, and can get ahead if both people are very successful career career wise you know it's it might be really i would not want to be with another painter because one of us would be would become dominant and the other would um be laying things aside and maybe it could be like super even and one of us wouldn't orbit the other but it it seems like it would be detrimental to one person or the other Hmm. Sorry, everyone who's in a creative relationship. <laughs> um, so, like, uh, but like, uh, I don't think she will feel competitive with me. Like, if if I actually become a published novelist, I don't think that will be an issue necessarily. Hmm. She's, she's just so much better than me. Like, it's, there's no competition. A lot of people have very sweet um, creative relationships and like Mark D'Alessio's wife um, was, went to art school because of him and became a painter at a later age, like in her thirties. And that's sweet. Um, I think it might be really hard. Like, I, I don't think my wife's name is Era. If she, if she wasn't already a writer, I don't think she would be able to stand being married to me or vice versa. Like a, a, I probably couldn't just like date a lawyer or something, something like that. She's a former lawyer. She's done a lot of things, but um, I think like a normal corporate person would just find me so ass backwards all the time in my thinking. And and they also don't understand the schedule either. Sort of the nonstop nature of what we we have to do. Um. This one comes from uh, Peter Drake. He, he submitted a question from the New York Academy. Uh, and he said, I've often wondered how you, Hillary, can seem so shy in person, but so baldy in public. 
your lectures are outrageously funny, he says. So I, I wonder if he's, he's speaking to a bit of a duality there. Oh, uh, if I happen to be funny, I will go home and die. Like, you know, because I've said something embarrassing and people laugh. And so, you know, I suffer. <laughs> and, you know, the worst is, is like um, going and being a visiting artist and flopping. And so, like, you know, everybody's just so bored by whatever I say. And I'm turning myself inside out to try to connect with, like, really grumpy students that can be sad and hard. But, um I'm glad he's had a good experience. <laughs> well, we've also had a good experience. I found you absolutely charming and insightful and uh, a great painter on top of it all. So this has been a, an excellent conversation, Hillary. Yeah, thank, thank you so, so much. much. Thank you. And please on the website, misspell my name so my parents never find me. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much and happy election night. Oh, thank yeah, you. you too. She's amazing, right? Here's a little recap from Marshall and I right after we finished the interview. She is absolutely a delight. I learned so much about her that I didn't expect because I didn't think that she wasn't as perp. I thought she was more purposeful. Yes. Willful in the paintings. And it seems like it's just absolutely whatever she feels it's it's more whim, whimsical in that way it's like i like i like it that i like the word better knowing her even because like like exactly what you said like i had thought it was a little calculating and maybe a little pretentious and it's not at all it's just what she wants to do and she's also a, a huge technician which i was not expecting yeah, totally. Which seems a little more recent. It seems like, like those names she mentioned are just like, uh, you know, whatever, like, um, uh, God, what would you call those people? Just pure uh, academic paint nerds, you know? Yeah, totally. And I was like, how, do you, how are you um, kind of contextualizing their knowledge? And it's like, she's so fucking curious about how yeah. to paint. Yeah, that it's great. everything they say, it's gonna, it's gonna make sense, and she can use it. Yeah, hundred percent. And then she goes and makes these fucking amazing images <laughs> for PPOW with knowledge from uh, Richard Schmidt and whoever yeah. else. <laughs> fucking great! Yeah, it's really terrific. Well, guys, I hope you're feeling inspired. Um, make sure you rate and review our episode on Apple Podcasts and. Share it with your friends you think might enjoy it, might get something from it. Take care. Stay safe.